we'll be at some college, you know, backstage. They'll be like, anything else we can get you? I'll tell you what you can do. Have a seat and crack a beer with us and just relax, man. We don't (laughs) need anything else. We never took it that serious. At the end of the day, we know this is a tough business to still be doing it 32 years later, make a living at it and have a laugh. I won the lottery. Speakers up to 11 because it's time for Too Much Effing Perspective, the podcast that asks musicians and entertainers to relive their most Spinal Tap moments when nothing goes right and everything gets weird. I'm your host, Alan Keller, a comedy writer in LA and former lead singer of the least heralded Chicago band, The Falling Will End Us. And I'm your co-host, Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead and former lead singer of the least heralded Milwaukee band, The Vainglorious. Our guest today is Krista Makes, frontman for the ska punk band Less Than Jake and host of the podcast, Krista Makes a Podcast. (laughs) We talked to Chris about million dollar Pez dispensers, the time little Richard walked into the band's hotel room and partying with P-Funk's George Clinton in Tallahassee. So without further ado, let's go to the TME. P show. It really puts perspective on things, though, doesn't it? Not really? too much. There's too yeah, much perspective now. Alex, today we're talking with less than Jake Singer and fellow podcast host Krista Makes from Krista Makes a Podcast, and it got me thinking that maybe we should explain why we have a podcast in the first place. We never talk about the nuts and bolts of this thing. We just leap right into our guests usually. We do. And talking about your nuts is never very comfortable for me. Seems inappropriate for a family-friendly show, but... And my bolts. <laughs> I have a big set of bolts. Yeah, you do. Right through your temples. In any case, <laughs> um, really, I think it's probably since episode one that we dug into what our reasons are for recording Too Much Effing Perspective and publishing several times a month. And your reasons and my reasons are probably not the same, even these days. Yeah. And also, Krista Makes, right? He has a podcast, Makes Sense. He's got a band. He tours. Great way to promote stuff, right? You and I, Bob Kiss. <laughs> but, you know, I think my reasoning for the podcast is many fold. I mean, at the beginning, it was just a great way for you and me to do something together because you moved from LA to Portland and we rarely see each other anymore. Yeah. But also... When I moved to Los Angeles from Chicago in 2005, I pretty much cut off everything I had to do with music. So doing a podcast about This Is Spinal Tap was a perfect way to inch back into the music world while still remaining in the comedy world because, you know, This Is Spinal Tap is a comedy about music. And through our Quick Tap episodes, I get to talk to my music friends again and comedy friends, and it's been really, really fun. And you are extraordinarily conversant in music. You are a veritable music library between certain years, maybe 65 and 80 for sure. (laughs) And then it cuts off very dramatically in 93 or four. Yeah. 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 You know, and for me, given that I was a concert tour manager and I toured with Radiohead and PJ Harvey and the Bodines and others, I have always loved hearing other people's road stories and I've always loved sharing my own. Right. It's just this notion of sitting around a table with friends and swapping those war stories 
to paraphrase Marie Kondo, it brings me joy. And my sense going to this podcast was that if it brings me joy and it's something that you enjoy, then there are likely other people out there who would enjoy hearing these things as well, not only from us, but more importantly, from our guests. And it has truly been a joy to speak with people that we consider to be some of our music heroes, like Nancy Wilson from Heart and Tommy Stinson from The Replacements and Butch Vig from Garbage, who produced Nirvana's Nevermind, and all of our guests, right? Yes. They're kind of opening up a private part of their lives and sharing these stories that, as we say, might not have been all that funny when they happened, but are hilarious in retrospect. We've heard absolutely jaw-dropping stuff that you could not even make up. Yeah. It's just absolutely insane. Yeah. Now that we have each other's epic perspective, let's get to our conversation with Krista Makes. I want to invite anybody who's listening to check out our past episodes. We've spoken with Stuart Copeland from The Police, Devo co-founder Jerry Casale, Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords and Our Flag Means Death, our friends Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein from Slater Kinney, Soul Asylum's Dave Perner, Modern Family's Julie Bowen. I mean, what can I say? We just have a really wonderful set of guests. And after you've listened to the 70 plus episodes we've created, I also suggest listening to our guest today's podcast, Krista Makes a Podcast, because he has a great perspective on music and he's got a real gift for gab too. Yeah, he sure does. So we'll be right back. But first, a short break. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! And now a guy who has far more followers on Instagram than we do, Chris Demakes. So Chris, I was a tour manager. And Alan was in an amazing band out of Chicago called The Falling Walendas. It's a little too soon, man. Carl Luenda fell in 1978. And this is hurtful, <laughs> all right? That's still someone's grandfather. <laughs> We're the Falling Walendas. There's many Walendas that have fallen to their death. It's an uh, occupational hazard. I think I like the name better than the Dead Kennedys, to be honest with you. I'm Team Falling Walendas. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. 
you know, you put out an album called Goodbye Blue and White that was named in honor of your original tour van. (laughs) And your liner notes had stories from the early days of the van. I just honestly had a lot of fun on tour when I was doing it. And the second tour I ever did was in a van with a band called Balloon. They were on RCA Records, and it was two Brits and a Kiwi. We crisscrossed the U.S., and they wanted to see everything in the daylight, get off the highways and get into the B roads, as they call them, and really see America. It was such an adventure. So would love to hear a couple stories from you about those days back in blue and white and some of the crazy stuff that happened. Oh, I mean, you know, when, when you're 20, 21 years old, you're either dumb and naive and fearless and all these adjectives. I was all of them rolled into one. I thought I knew everything as we do at 20. Chris, I'm 22, so <laughs> I can tell. Salt, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it was a different time. We were flying by the seat of our pants. I've always said there's a certain group of people that can be locked in a van for nine months out of the year. Not everyone can do it. And you wonder why bands break up. If it's not money, it's because you can't stand each other. The close quarters, the eating fast food four times a day and using the bathroom at the Shell gas station. (laughs) But back in the day, it was an adventure. Like you were talking about with the Brits and the Kiwi you traveled, they were wide-eyed. They wanted to see everything. They wanted to soak it all in. So I always tell the story that every night we didn't have a pot to piss in. We used to get a dollar, no, excuse me, $2 a day. I would stretch that into three 59-cent bean burritos at Taco Bell. Uh, So bean burritos and uh, PBR, you tell me what our van smelled like. (laughs) But we would, uh, every night, ask if we had a place to stay. And our merch guy at the merchandise booth would have a sign that says, hey, can we crash your house? And I'd be on the mic every night, hey, can we crash? And inevitably, someone would say yes. And... It'd be this wide-eyed kid, and he'd say, hey, you can come back to my house. All right, follow me. And we'd be following, and all of a sudden, we'd get off the highway, and we'd be rolling into this neighborhood, and it was like guard gate outside and fountains and rolling hills. It's like a three-story mansion. His dad's like a brain surgeon. <laughs> you wake up in the morning, and mom's making pancakes, full June Cleaver, okay? And you're like, wow, this isn't so bad. She's offering to do laundry. Awesome. Um, all is right in the world, okay? So we get back in the van and we traverse to St. Louis or wherever the next gig is. Same exact scenario, different town. Hey, we're looking for a place to stay tonight. Same goofy, brace-faced kid raises his hand. Hey, you can stay with me. We follow the kid back and we get to the filthiest one-bedroom apartment you've ever been to in your life. Three dogs, a bird, four cats, dog crap in the corner, beer, cigarettes. Um, so I used to always sleep in the blue and white, our van. All right. That ended up being not just our mode of transportation, but that's where I ended up crashing a lot. Plus, it seemed back in the day that every punk rocker had a cat. And this guy's really allergic to cats. I start wheezing in my eyes. So I spent many a freezing night in the blue and white. Yeah, those are great stories and experiences. I mean, I remember with that same band, we were driving from Milwaukee to Toronto. And we learned at something like 6 p.m. at night that we had to be in Toronto by 10 a.m. the next morning because I had to get them to the consulate to get their work visas. It was a weird kind of thing. I think they'd come into the U.S. on tourist visas. And um, we'd hightailed it out of Milwaukee, had to cruise through Chicago, around the bottom of Lake Michigan, head into Michigan, 
to get to the border crossing. And we'd also gotten advice that we wanted to cross the border at like 6 a.m. right at the shift change to keep it as fast as possible, right? Because they don't want to be bothered when they're on the shift change. But I, I remember that, like literally parking, falling asleep in the van for one hour, all four of us. And miraculously, I woke up to get us to the border on time. It's just one of those things where, yeah, you can actually have really nice long sleeps in a van and it can be a quick pit stop and work for you too. Yeah, and we've tried every combination of, let's get there before the guard change. Let's get there during the guard change. Let's get there after the guard change. We have found out that it just doesn't matter. It really is a roll of dice on what a-hole is going to wave you through or search your bus for a joint roach that's like this big or something, you know? Yeah. It wasn't even yours. The last band left it or something. Well, the one other thing that I wanted to say is that you mentioned using the toilet at Shell gas stations. You know, being on tour with a group of people, and it seems like especially in the van, part of the normal conversation ends up being bodily functions. <laughs> so like when someone would go and use the bathroom and sit down and then come back, they'd kind of give a status report. And I remember you know, a guy coming back going like, oh, how'd it go? And he's like, turfy. <laughs> Almost yeah. the, the medical analysis of the stool <laughs> sample. So that's kind of how personal it gets. Absolutely. Yeah. My side project's called Panic at the Costco. Because <laughs> there are moments like that where you'd pull up and everyone's got to go at the same time. And you're in the middle of Nebraska and it's a BP gas station and it's a one-seater. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine, Paul Trudeau. He was on a quick tap. We have short episodes with short stories for short tension spans. And Paul plays with Billy Idol. They were in Europe, maybe in Bulgaria, and they stopped at a gas station in the middle of the night, and Paul went to use the facilities, and when he got out, they left without him. Oh, yeah. He called it oil spotting. I don't know if yes. that's a... Oh, you've heard that. That is a term. I, I was going to tell you, it's called oil spotted because when you go to where the van or the bus was, there's just a puddle of oil there. <laughs> They've hauled ass. <laughs> so you've been oil spotted. <laughs> Alan has a legendary falling Melinda's spinal tap moment where they were playing at the Wisconsin State Fair and they were asked to turn down the volume because they were disturbing the pigs. Mm. And there seems to be somewhat of a parallel story behind the reason why you named your band what you did. Is that true? So our original drummer, Vinny, his parents had an English bulldog and the dog's name was Jake. And... Jake was a 80 pound overweight English bulldog and they fed the dog good food. They'd feed him like steak and seafood and whatever they ate. And our drummer would be like in the corner eating peanut butter and jelly. And <laughs> we'd be in the back room rehearsing at his parents' house back in the day. And the dog would be howling. <laughs> he didn't like the bass and the noise. It would disturb him. So the mom would knock on the door. Guys, you got to wrap it up. So we were less than Jake. It was that simple. Is that why Vinny left the band? Because you disturbed Jake? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the dog died in 95, 96. He was only about seven years old because they fed him horribly. <laughs> Don't feed English Bulldogs uh, buttery lobster and steak. It doesn't work. 
Heart do disease. English do bulldogs have English teeth just like British rockers? I'm wondering. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do. I saw a picture of Robin Hitchcock today, and I never noticed his teeth are oh, fucked boy. up. <laughs> like a bad hedge cutting. <laughs> For whatever reason, this conversation is drawing on memories from that tour with the two Brits and the Kiwi. So we were in the van driving through Philly. There was this attractive woman standing on the sidewalk. It was pretty hot. She was scantily clad, and they just were pressed up against the windows of the van looking at her. And she saw us looking, and she smiled, and her teeth were just splayed all over the place. <laughs> and I said, wow, she looks hot, but boy, those teeth are really terrible. And one of the Brits said, they're in her mouth. What more do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, they were just fine with it. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm very sensitive to this because I was actually the first recording artist on the American Dental Association failed record label. <laughs> mm. Yeah. After Vinny left the band, Matt Yonker joined, right? Is he mm -hmm. your drummer currently? He is. Yeah. And is. from what I saw, he'd done your merch. He'd been a roadie. He'd been your stage manager, tour manager. And even part of your management team, I guess. Yeah. But then he joined the band. And it kind of reminded me of the character Tom Branson from Downton Abbey, who's the driver, <laughs> yeah. and then marries the Earl's daughter and becomes part of the family, right? Matt crossed that boundary between the help and the nobility, so to speak. Any kind of weirdness there? Yeah. You know, there was two bands called Teen Idols, punk bands. One was an older band, and they were spelled I-D-L-E-S, like your idol in a car or stationary. But Matt was in a band called Teen Idols, I-D-O-L-S, like your young teen idols. And they were on a pretty big label. It was a subsidiary of Fat Records in the 90s. That's where Less Than Jake met them. Fantastic drummer, got along famously with the band, took them out on some tours, took them over to England with us and uh, had them open up for us over there. And we needed a merch guy for a Warp Tour 2001. And Matt was in between tours and he came out and sold shirts for us. But he was also kind of helping set up the drums on stage because he was a drummer. So he was kind of a, a utility player. Right. And then uh, he taught himself how to do sound. And so he would twist monitors if we needed him. He would go out to the front of house. He started tour managing. Then he was doing day-to-day -day management for us. There really wasn't much he couldn't do. So when Vinny decided to leave the band in the summer of 2018, it was kind of abrupt. He had kind of wanted to get off the road. His daughter was growing up and he wanted to be home more. So he had told us, hey, I'm bowing out. And, and we were like, we got these shows coming up. What do we do? And, you know, basically he said, I'm not playing them. Do what you got to do. And so wow. we had two shows, one in Spokane and one in Boise, Idaho. Both of them were festivals. It was us, Bad Religion, and the Interrupters in six to 10,000 seat amphitheaters. Both of them cool. packed out. And we didn't even give them the courtesy of a rehearsal. We threw them in the fire just straight <laughs> out. We knew he knew the songs. He was freaking out. But uh, he was the only choice at that point. We didn't even have time to think of anybody else. And, you know, being a band that had been around for 30 years, we could have gotten any hotshot kid we wanted, 22-year-old, but I've said it before. I know what Matt's feet and farts smell like. I don't know what the 22-year-old kids smell like. And at the minute that the 22-year-old kid cocks off at me, I'm going to throw him off the bus at two in the morning. So Matt was the right. logical choice. Remember, I'm 22. So just so you know. I know. I know. That's why I said that. You know, uh, so this reminds me of the story of Scott Halpin. Remember, he was the guy in the audience that the Who brought on stage when Mooney collapsed. Oh, yeah. When, he, when Moon. Oh, right. when Moon yeah. yeah. And he came up and played like three songs with them. That is so cool. 
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. I'm a memorabilia guy, a collectible guy, mostly sports stuff. And I read that you guys collect Pez dispensers. And so I decided to head on to eBay to see what the hell can you get for a really rare Pez dispenser. And there's three on eBay right now with a starting bid of a, of a million dollars. Oh, I know. Are you kidding me? No. Let's see. One is wow. Spider-Man. One is a 2006 Disney Chicken Little thing. And one is a white bunny. Why would a white bunny be worth a million dollars as a Pez dispenser? I don't know. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> and I don't know how if you could take the coloring, if it was the plastic was actually molded or if it was white uh, plastic that was colored. I'm assuming that it was all molded in the color. The white one was a mistake or something. Yeah. It's crazy. And the Pez people, they're like their own cult. They have their museum up in Orange, Connecticut, the Pez Museum. It's awesome. Uh, We've been to Pez conventions before. Have you gigged at the Pez Museum or the Pez conventions? No, we didn't. Uh, we Pezapalooza? Yeah, Pezapalooza. <laughs> no, we didn't. But we've kind of been embraced by Pez. They're definitely aware of who we are. We were the first band to really embrace them. We used what's probably public domain artwork for our second record. It was old 50s clip art of actual Pez ads. But nobody's ever come after us when we go to the museum like they have our picture and our album and they know who we are of course they could have come after us but i think especially back in the 90s because pez was nowhere near what they are now it's such a global phenomenon now but back then it was Bizarre. still a little under the radar in the sense that they probably figured if anything we were introducing pez to an audience well you know about the pez outlaw right the movie no, I, I. So here's a Spinal Tap moment regarding Pez. So there was a guy in the 90s who would go to Eastern Europe and smuggle. For some reason, they had yes. to smuggle in Pez dispensers and sell them for thousands of dollars each year. And he made four and a half million dollars in 11 years. And he ended mm -hmm. up getting kicked out of the business by the president which is the president <laughs> of distribution at Pez. But that guy almost went to jail because he was smuggling Pez dispensers in. Yeah, the only other person I know that's that into Pez is uh, Robbie, the bass player from Goo Goo Dolls. And we've hung out with Robbie before and talked shop with him about Pez. So, you know, they're cool. They're uh, collectible. They have candy. And for us... It was a funny name, Pezcore, because everything in the 90s was hardcore, thrashcore, metalcore, punkcore, whatever. And so uh, we were Pezcore.
honest to God, true story. We had just flown in from Japan and I'm waiting with our bass player, Roger and our trombone player. We're in one hotel room. We were waiting for a buddy of ours to show up to bring us some weed. And we had the door kind of cracked open and we're just sitting there watching TV or something. Actually, I remember what we were watching. This is 1998. We were watching the Simpsons and we're jet lag. We like, like I said, we had just flown in. It's the afternoon and the door opens and I look back and his head pops and he goes, Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong room. It was little Richard. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. And you're just like, what is going on? I mean, things like that. I can't tell you how many times I pinch myself and the little kid sitting in front of his mirror with a tennis racket wanting to be a rock star. It's not playing in front of 60,000 people at the Reading Festival in England. That was awesome. Opening for Bon Jovi on their Crush Tour. That was awesome. All those things are great. I've lived my dream 10 times over, but it's the little things like Little Richard. I'll give you another one. I'm in Tallahassee, Florida around the year 99, 2000. I'm on the bus. Everyone's inside and someone's banging on the door and they won't stop. It's 10 minutes before showtime. Finally, I go to the door. I crack the door open. I'm pissed. And the door opens. And who's standing there? Now, mind you, never met the man in my life, but he's such a figure, okay? And I don't care if I was on Mars, I'd know who this guy was. It was unmistakable. Tallahassee, Florida, completely out of context. Don't expect it at all. There's George Clinton from Parliament Funkadelic standing there. Wow. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? He's like, hey, um, have you seen so-and-so? So it turns out that the promoter of the venue, George had lived in Tallahassee at that point for a number of years, and he did artwork, painting on the side. And the venue manager was his manager for his art side of his career. And he was looking for him. George comes to the bus afterwards. He's pulling bongs with us, drinking beer. It was insane. So just <laughs> things like that, man. I got stories like that for days. Those little things are the ones that make me chuckle. Yeah, those are great. The first time I stayed at the Hyatt on Sunset in LA, I also had a little Richard experience where he had a limo. He lived there, yeah. is what I understand. I think he had a suite on the second floor or whatever. And he had a limo where the vanity license plate was 24 carat. <laughs> so I remember seeing that limo in the drive-thru. Little Richard gets out looking amazing. He was just dressed to the nines, oh, you yeah. know? And he had a young dandy on his arm who was kind of escorting him as he tottered through the lobby to the elevator. But it was the same with me, Chris. I mean, it's sort of like when I was on my early tours, it was like all this stuff that I had read about, I was beginning to experience them myself. And it was like, wow, this is rock and roll. Well, how do you explain this one? So 1996, in LA, mixing our record. My uncle, who's an East Coast guy to this day, but he had taken a job in LA. He was going to try to make a go out of it. He was, uh, at the time, or he still is, he's in uh, like television production. We just got our mixes back from our Losing Streak album. It was our debut major label album on Capitol. And my uncle said, let's go out and celebrate. We went to a Greek restaurant. We're sitting there. And all of a sudden, table next to us, it's Sarah Gilbert from Roseanne. And she's like at the height of her fame then. And I'm like 20 years old. My uncle's like, give her the tape, man. Give her the tape. I'm like, dude, my uncle's older than me. I'm like, he's like, give her the tape. I'm like, I don't want to give her the freaking tape. She's eating with her girlfriend. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? So I remember, I remember going over and I can imagine. I was like, uh, I'm Chris. I play in this band less than Jig. I know you don't give a fuck, but here's my tape, right? <laughs> Two years later, we're out there mixing Hello Rock View. 
And I'm on Melrose Avenue. There's a couple of great vintage shops out there. And I'm thumbing through the ACDC and Motley Crue vintage t-shirt rack. And I'm going around all of a sudden, excuse me, I bump into Sarah Gilbert. She said, excuse me. And at this point in the story, people always ask me, because I was just in LA and I told my my brother had never heard this story. They always say, well, did, did you talk to her? It's like, no. Like, hey, I was the asshole that gave you the tape in the Greek restaurant. No, I, I didn't go there. So when I was in my life. Two years later, we're out recording a record called Borders and Boundaries. It was a Sunday afternoon. It was dreary. And about three or four blocks in the studio on Hollywood, it's no longer there. It was owned by an Asian family. It was a burger about this big. It was the greasiest pile of grease and meat you've ever seen. But it was delicious. And it was cheap. It was called Sandy Burger, right in Hollywood. Mm. And I walk to Sandy Burger. I sit at the counter. I eat the burger. I come out. As I come out to cross over Hollywood Boulevard, there is a city bus and a car behind it. And I see the city bus and like I think they're getting ready to leave. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And there's, a, there's enough room to get between the bus and the car. I'm tired of waiting. So I start to make my move. And as I do, a woman walking towards me with a bag, you know where this is going, walks in between the car and I look and it's Sarah Gilbert. So I've had three run-ins with her. I've never said hello to her, never saw her again, but that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Wow. You know, I live in LA, right? And Sarah Gilbert goes to my farmer's market. So I see her like every week. Uh, <laughs> funny. But it's so funny. I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Milwaukee and you're trained here to be not impressed. Don't be impressed by celebrities. And you know, for the first three quarters of my life, I never saw a celebrity, right? And like, right. I go to a coffee shop and at Bettings, just sitting there reading book and having coffee every day. My preschool, uh, Nicole Kidman, Halle Berry, Sandra Bullock, Gwen Stefani, they yep. were all parents there, right? I'm friends with Julie Bowen because Julie was a mom. And she still is. Which she still, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't want to be jaded. I want to be excited when I see these people because they're like unicorns, you know? But yeah. here you have to play it down. Oh, yeah. I mean, my band jokes about it. Going to those red carpet parties, I, I couldn't take it seriously, I don't think. It's too much. I've been to a couple of them. I've been invited to an after Grammys party one time and everyone was there. It was at the Hollywood Athletic Club years ago. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'm at the cool party, but I'll never be them. I'll never feel like I'm part of this. I'm still an outsider and I'm okay with that. Chris DeMakes, what is your favorite scene in the movie This is Spinal Tap? You know, it's probably not the most belly over laughing scene. I mean, there are, there are parts of it, but I just relate to it, especially now, because we've had similar things like this happen, okay? Things aren't always going to work out logistically on the road, especially when you're playing different places every day. You're not in arenas where you could set up the same stage dimensions. So I love the Stonehenge scene in the movie. And the reason is because it was kind of loosely based off of Black Sabbath. They're born again to her in 83, but it was in reverse. So Sabbath meant to order their stones and feet, but they ordered them in meters. So when they showed up to these arenas, 
it was bigger than the actual Stonehenge. So I love that part of it when the little Stonehenge floats down on the stage. It's ridiculous. And I can relate to it on so many levels. I guess Geezer Butler asked Spinal Tap if that influenced them. And they said, no, it's just a total coincidence. Isn't that strange? It's funny you should say that because I've thought about the timeline there. I'm a stickler for dates, and I know Born Again came out in 83, so thanks for the clarification. I guess it wasn't related. But they're both Stonehenge, so it's crazy. And it is ridiculous, yeah. Hey, guys, I can offer some clarification. The Stonehenge scene was actually a short film that the Spinal Tap guys shot in 1980 and 81 called Spinal Tap, The Final Tour. And it was basically a scene to sell the concept for the film to the studio, so... It appears that Spinal Tap is the chicken to Black Sabbath's egg. So, Chris, for some reason, there are just a lot of stories that we come across on this show that intersect with Capitol Records. Radiohead was on Capitol when I was tour managing them. Alan loves the Beatles, who were, of course, on Capitol. One of our early guests was Zia McCabe from the Dandy Warhols. They were on Capitol. Yep. We just had our evergreen cousin, uh, Johnny, Johnny Christ. Christ. Yeah. Avenged Sevenfold did a record on Capitol. You guys were on Capitol. You know, I want to hear a funny story about Capitol, if you have one. And I did read that they tried to style you guys in some way. And, I'm, and, then, and I wonder if <laughs> there's any truth to that. Oh, it was hilarious. There was like racks of clothing. They tried to put me in like leather pants and we're just (laughs) laughing. And this is just some 24-year-old sweet girl that was hired to be in the wardrobe department. And we're tearing her to pieces. We're like, I'm not putting that fucking thing on. So do you stick to your convictions? And this is what I want to do. You know, in life, you have to play the game a little bit. And I think that there was times that we maybe could have played a little nicer but we always stuck to our guns. I don't think I would change a thing, but we certainly didn't help ourselves sell any records. I can tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) We're up in Vancouver. It was us. I want to say it was Dandy Warhols. Us, Dandy Warhols, and Foo Fighters. Ah. And Foo Fighters were just about to release Color into Shape, I think. So this would have been 97. We were doing a showcase Mm. for EMI Canada up there. Ah. And the whole day, it's so dry and boring. I don't know if we played first or if there was a band before us. I want to say there was a band before us. And all the suits are just out there. As the band's playing, they're sipping their cocktails and they're talking this way, not looking at the band. So we're backstage and we tell our roadie, it's like, it's time for the birthday suit. So he puts on a wrestling mask and he runs around the audience. He's putting his junk in people's faces. (laughs) And I mean, that's the kind of stuff that... (laughs) What do you mean you didn't help yourself on the business end? I mean, that's such a wise business decision to make. That is the business. I want to leave you with one more. I have not told this story in over 20 years, probably. Played outside of Cincinnati. And we either ate at one of two places back then. It was Denny's or Waffle House. Open 24-7 you're wondering why my insides are still tore up but uh we're at this denny's and it happened to be prom night so it's like two in the morning and all the prom kids are in there in their suits it's packed and we have a table and this kid comes up and he's like hey man i just saw you guys tonight he recognized us he's like i wanted to buy a shirt but i I couldn't buy a shirt he's like can i give you cash could you get me one from your trailer i said 
I'll do one better. Put your money away. I said, if you get naked and streak this place, I'll give you every piece of merchandise we have in the trailer. One of everything. So we went to the trailer. We got one. What size is like medium or large? We get one shirt of everything. Every CD, every sticker. We get a bag and we hand it to his buddy. His buddy goes in the bathroom with him into a stall. The guy strips, puts all his clothes in the same bag, comes out and streaks the place. The cops come, you know, so that, that's the kind of stuff we used to get down to. Oh my You turn goodness. that Denny's into a Denny's of iniquity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, we're not going to top that. So um, I don't want to talk to him anymore after that, frankly. I, I think let, we had this interview. <laughs> Subverting the youth. Yes. As punk rock was meant to do. So in any case, uh, Chris, how can our listeners learn more about what you're up to, what Lesson Jake's up to, that kind of thing? Lesson Jake's all over the place. You can find us on all the socials out there. We're going to be on the road this March in the United States. We got a uh, tour coming up in the United Kingdom with Bowling for Soup in February. And I host a podcast called Krista Makes a Podcast. It's a songwriting podcast. I've released an episode one a week since June 2020. Wow. Going on our fourth year, going strong. You can find us online I'm on Instagram. We have a Facebook page with over 5,500 dedicated members in the group. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can find us. Super. That's great, Chris. Well, thanks so much for sharing your stories. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, really nice meeting you, man. It's been a blast. Thanks, guys. Krista makes a podcast. Krista stalks Sarah Gilbert. Krista rocks leather pants. Krista bongs with P Funk. Krista panics at the Costco. Hell yeah. That was a blue and white tour van full of rock and roll stories. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you did too, listeners. Big thanks to Ann Wade at Evergreen Podcast Network for connecting us with our podcast cousin, Chris. Too Much Effing Perspective is a Milwaukee Talkies original. Our editor is Christian Kilby. Our music composer is J.K. Harrison. Please follow us on Instagram at TMEPshow. Visit our website at TMEPshow.com to sign up for our mailing list. And find our other episodes featuring rock stars, comedians, and entertainment luminaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Although it would be as great as having armadillos in our trousers... This podcast is not affiliated with This Is Spinal Tap, and no person or entity connected with the film has sponsored or endorsed its content. This podcast is not affiliated, sponsored, or licensed by Authorized Spinal Tap LLC or Century of Progress Productions. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Evergreen Podcast Network.